0: Take your Bibles and turn with me again to Matthew chapter 5 and uh, verse 9. I do want to say how much I appreciated that song that the uh, choir sang, God Lead Us Along. Uh, But I will tell you that through a curve to Bev this week, she does such a good job of choosing the choir music to go with the sermon that I'm preaching that day and next Sunday uh, or today I was scheduled to be preaching on Blessed are the Persecuted. And that would have been perfect. So remember that song next Sunday, all right? Instead, I came back to the one we looked at last week. We're going to look at Blessed are the Peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God one more time. I'll tell you why I'm doing that. We, uh, well, one thing is I didn't get everything said I wanted to say last week about it, so I'll come back and do it again. But also, that's a, that's a great one to look at as we come to the Lord's table, as we come to think about the Lord's Supper, it's, it's important that we think about what Jesus is talking about there, and blessed are the peacemakers. You see, the Lord's Supper is, has a lot of purposes. One, to teach us about the, and visualize the sacrifice that Christ made, to remind us about His body and His blood that was shed and was given on our behalf. But one of the real purposes, one of the primary purposes the Apostle Paul talks about in coming to the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, is that we come to examine ourselves. We we come before this table with hearts that say, Lord, I want to be an open book before you. Lord, I want to know what my life is in relation to what you want my life to be. And so Paul said, when you come to this table, examine yourselves. First of all, to be sure that you're of the faith. To be sure that you truly believe. But secondly, to see if there's anything there that that just really stands in the way of your walk with Him. And also of your influence and impact of being a peacemaker to those that you're around. So it's an important thought as we come to the Lord's table to look again at blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons or the children of the living God. I, wanna, I, wanna re- I want us to realize that this is important in the world. We talked about that last week somewhat. And that our primary responsibility is to be peacemakers between others and God, to, to share with them the gospel so that they might come to a place of peace with God and know the peace of God. That's primarily and ultimately what that means, but I also think we have to realize and understand that it's important for our main focus and our first focus to also be supplemented by peacemaking within the church. During our congregational meeting this morning, we had such a great time. We celebrated, we rejoiced, we did some things that are just going to bring honor and glory to God, and one of the things that kept being said that was so true and so right was, you know, God has over the last two and a half years that we've been in existence given us such a beautiful unity, such a beautiful love for one another. And, and God has done a work here that only He could do in bringing us together, unified, not around personalities, not around even a building, obviously because we're in a rented building, but He's brought us a unity and a oneness around the truth of God, about, around the Word of God around the proclamation of that word and the proclamation of the gospel. But I want you to understand that that is not a guarantee if we don't guard it. Paul said to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians 4, verse 1, he said, Be diligent to guard the unity of the Spirit. To those Ephesian Ephesian Christians at the church at Ephesus, Be diligent to guard the unity of the Spirit. Now what he means there is this, You be very careful, you be very vigilant, you be very purposeful in in trying to protect and guard the unity that God has given us. You understand, we have union with one another because of our covenant relationship in Christ. We have unity with God because of our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. But union and unity are, while very much attached to one another, are not exactly the same. Union is the given. Unity is the visible expression of that given. And so Paul says, be be diligent, be careful, be sure that you guard the unity of the Spirit in the perfect bond of peace. So we want to think about that as we come to the Lord's table today. We want to think about that as we think about, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know, as you think about peace and peacemaking, You come to realize, and and the scripture is very clear on this, that really uh, there's a part of the body, and I'm not talking about the church body here, I'm talking about the physical body. There's a part of the body that really serves as the most dangerous tool when it comes to breaking the peace, when it comes to either making peace or not making peace. There's one part of the body. It's not a hand. It's not the foot. It's not the heart or the stomach or the lungs. It's really a little insignificant part when you really think about it. It's kind of an unseemly part. It's a part that you really don't give a lot of attention to unless you bite it or something. And it's a part of the body called the tongue. I would stick mine out, but you'd be grossed out immediately, and I won't do that. But it's the tongue. Now, the tongue is used for a lot of things. It's used for taste. Tasting with the tongue will not affect the unity of the body one bit. Uh, It's used for for feeling somewhat in in various ways, and and that won't affect the the body. But the tongue is also used in formulating words. And words can be the most damaging, destructive part of the unity and the peace of the body that you'll ever find. So the tongue is a part of the body that is very dangerous when it comes to peacemaking. It's used in peacemaking, but it can also be used in peace-breaking. Listen to what James said about the tongue. Got your Bible? Turn with me to James chapter 3. We'll do a little running here, a little sword drill. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. are still directed by a a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Did you watch the news this week? Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The Epleys aren't back yet. I hope they're not caught in the fire. They're over there. One guy was burning trash in his backyard, just some little debris, a little bitty fire. And now 70-some-odd homes have been destroyed. Acres of woodlands have been destroyed. I mean, it's just been horrible. One little bitty fire started a great forest fire. That's what James is saying here. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire. The very words of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members "...as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed, and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men." Who have been made in the likeness of God? From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? James anticipating, of course not. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh now, it's important to see what James is talking about here. James says that the tongue is a fire. Now, obviously, the tongue is not a fire. It's flesh, and it's, it's meaty, and it's, uh, it's there in your mouth. But, but when it's used improperly, James says, it's like a fire. It, it spreads everywhere. It doesn't take a lot. Little words, silent words, just just quiet murmuring or mumbling can really cause disunity in the body. Now, again, I, I'm preaching to you as one who is so grateful to God for the unity that exists here and for the one that exists here around God's Word. But I, I also preach to you as one who wants to give a warning because we must never rest in that. We must never say, oh, well, we're, we're unified. We're one. We're all together. Because by one little slip, one little word, one little fire started, Paul says, and James say, can disrupt the unity of the body in a moment. Can break the peace. James says, you know, here's a real problem. There's a real problem when a person praises God on one hand. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father. We praise God on one hand, and we turn around and curse other people. It doesn't mean you use curse words toward the other person. It just means you speak negatively of them. It means you just say negative things about them, maybe with all the right seemingly motives, but yet still there's the the words that are spoken that are not edifying, they're not building up, they're not glorifying to God, and so they cause damage and they cause hurt. Just one little subtle I don't like that can cause people to sit around and say, Oh, what's wrong? Well, why is that bad? You know, well what's Rather than going to a source or going to a person who you disagree with and say, listen, I want to talk to you about this. I want to share this with you. Just just the, the uttering of a negative can set a little fire that spreads into a virtual forest fire. Paul says and James says, be careful what happens with the tongue. Be careful with what you say. Because just a passing statement can cause a lack of peace within the church of Christ, within the church of Jesus Christ. That's so important we understand that. Paul said something else about it in, in a more positive light, I suppose, if you will, from James to some degree, in chapter 4 of Ephesians. In the first part, I, I talked about how he said to be, in verse 3, to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's important. But then he talks more about how that's done through words down in the latter part of that chapter. In verse 20, I'll look at 25. 29 is the real key verse, but look at starting in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth to each other with his neighbor, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Do not, uh, excuse me, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with those who have need. Now listen to this one. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I, I use this passage uh, in premarital counseling to teach couples how to have a good fight. Uh, and and it it relates there, but I'm not going to relate it to that today, but I do want you to see some things as it relates to the church. In in talking about this whole idea of let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, the word unwholesome there is a word that could also be translated rotten. It it could also be paraphrased at least to stinking. That's a little no G on the end, just stinking. Word. Let no unwholesome word, let no rotten word, let no vile word proceed forth out of your mouth. And it carries with it the idea of negativity, of of just speaking negative thoughts that set people's ears a-burning about a certain issue. Paul says, listen, don't speak with unwholesome words. Don't let them even come out of your mouth. But only speak words that are good for edification. Only speak words that build up. Only speak words that that encourage. And and in that way, you will be able to give grace to those who hear. Paul says our words ought to be used to give grace. Our words ought to be used to encourage. Our words ought to be used to build up and share grace with those that we come in contact with. That's what peacemaking is all about. That's what being a peacemaker is. It's sharing words of grace. It's sharing words of encouragement. It's being a part of the body in a positive way to minister to one another and to help one another. That last verse in chapter 4 makes it awfully hard. He says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also Has forgiven you. Peacemaking will involve being kind to one another. Peacemaking will be involved in showing forth kindness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. For the Spirit is kindness and goodness toward one another. And it involves forgiving one another. When you're hurt, when you are offended, It means being willing to say, I forgive you. But it also means being willing to go to the person that you have offended or that you have hurt and saying to them, I ask your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me. You know, we've gotten into a bad habit in our culture. When we do something against somebody, what are the words we usually say to them? Well, it's your fault. Yeah, You're right, Jerry. That's exactly right. That's why we say it's your fault. I'm trying to come to a little further along, though, that you accept some responsibility for it. Huh? My bad. (laughs) You're living with teenagers. Typically, we just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, that may be a starting place, but you've got to go a step further than just saying I'm sorry. You've got to, because you can say I'm sorry if I go to my wife this afternoon and Lord knows there's a thousand things I could probably go for and say and say, Retta, I'm sorry I did this. Well, she may say, yeah, and you shouldn't have done it. You know, that doesn't get it done. That doesn't make peace. But I go to her and I say, Rhett, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Now that puts a whole other dimension on it, doesn't it? Because now it does put something in her court. and I'm not meaning to pick on her today. But but it's a matter of of now she has to either say, yes, I will forgive you or no, I won't. And, And the point is here that for peace to be made, there has to be a seeking of forgiveness and there has to be a granting of forgiveness. There has to be a reconciliation that comes about. Based on truth, based on the facts, based on, on reality, but there has to be, for peace to be made, we have to be willing to say, I want your forgiveness, and we have to be willing to say, I forgive you. But Paul puts a little bit of an onus on this thing here. That's Alabama talk, I think. You know what an onus is? it's Just a real responsibility? Because Paul says, listen, if somebody seeks your forgiveness, you are to forgive them. Well, actually, they didn't say if they seek it. You don't even have to seek it. That if you are a believer and if you desire to be what God's called you to be and if you desire to be a peacemaker, then you are to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now that, that's forgiveness. That's not remembering it against them again. That's not saying later on down the road when it would be to your advantage to say, Oh, you know... Yeah, I, I know, I, I know, we're, we're together on this. But, you know, I remember when you did this. Or I remember a time when you did such. No, that's, that's, that's not forgiveness. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that love, part of love, real love, is not keeping an account of a wrong suffered. And that's, when, you, when you remember it against them, that's keeping an account of a wrong suffered. And Paul says, listen, You forgive one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. When we come to this table this morning, we come to remember the depth and the cost of God's forgiveness to us. We come to remember that it's because His body was placed on that cross and His blood was shed and we come to realize that that forgiveness cost God something. It cost Jesus something and yet he was willing to do it. He had every right to say I don't care about you people. You've a bunch of sinners and you rebelled against me. Why should I do this for you? But he didn't. He loved us and thus he forgave us because of his grace because of the work of Christ and Paul says, on that basis, if you've ever known the forgiveness of God, if you've ever experienced the forgiveness of God on that basis, forgive one another. Move on. Work together for the unity. Preserve the unity. Keep the unity. Because it's what He has done that has given us that unity. We guard it and we protect it for all we're worth. So we come to the table. And I invite you this morning, if you're here and you're a believer, to do two things before you take these elements. Examine yourself. Ask the Lord the very things we've talked about. Lord, have my words been harmful in any way? If they are, Lord, will you convict me of it? And will you forgive me of it? And will you cleanse me of it right now? And will you help me, Lord, to make it right? To use my words for unity? To use my words for peacemaking in the days to come? Or or, or whatever it is that God would bring to your mind, confess it there before you ever take the bread or take the, the fruit of the vine. Say, Lord, thank you for the sacrifice you've given. So if you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to this table. I invite you to take of it as it passes among you. Whether you're a member of grace or not, this is the Lord's table, not our table. And We come to celebrate the sacrifice that He has made. As peacemakers, we come to the table thanking Him for the peace that He has made with us. And being reminded of the peace that we are to make with one another in the body and with those outside of these walls as we introduce them to the great Prince of Peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to receive this? As the deacons come forward to prepare... I invite you to Christ this morning. Think about the, the sacrifice that is represented in what we're about to take. Parents, I ask you just to help your children understand that if they're not believers yet, they let this pass by. Father, we come before you right now and we ask you, Lord, to prepare our hearts as we partake of this great meal. As we think about your death on the cross your burial and your resurrection to life that we might live. Father, we pray that this day you will remind us of that great truth. Thank you, Father, for we pray in Jesus' name.